Emmanuel community because I, I came to Northern Ireland last November. I was here for some 24-7 meetings. I'm, I'm part of our, our um, global leadership team. We had some meetings, and uh, I was just about to get on my flight the night before I was about to leave. And so back then, you had to do a COVID test before you got on your flight. And so I took my little COVID test, and much to my dismay, <laughs> tested positive. And I had a split second where I thought, I could just pretend I didn't see that little, <laughs> you know, I'll wear a mask, I'll be all right. And then I thought, oh, what if I sit beside somebody's gran, you know? And I thought, oh, no, I can't do it. So I picked up the phone, and I was like, Alan, <laughs> help me. I was really frightened because I'm, I'm, you know, I was away from home in another country, and, um, well, sort of another country-ish. And, uh, and, uh, um, and I just, I was unsure of what was going to happen, and I was met with most beautiful, extravagant hospitality. So somebody in the community bought me a pair of pajamas. <laughs> and, uh, and then they found me this beautiful little um, self-enclosed sort of gatehouse cottage to, to stay in and quarantine for 10 days. They filled my fridge. Somebody even dropped an Ulster fry <laughs> off of my, on my front doorstep. I was really quite ill. And, um, and people checked in on me every day. So it's just, I think, my memories of... So the Emmanuel community is, is uh, radical hospitality and kindness, generosity of heart. So that's how I remember you all. And uh, even though you don't know me and I don't know all of you, but you were kind to a stranger. So thank you. Um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit today. Alan is saying you're, you're in the middle of a, a series on Gilgal, and, and I don't know how far you've gotten and, uh, but just looking at, at the people of Israel stepping into promise, stepping into a new season in their lives as a people of God. And, and I just thought, oh, what can, I, what can I add to that story a little bit coming out of, of my story and some things I've learned along the way. And so I want to talk just for a few minutes about how we can grow in the favor of the Lord. And uh, so I, I just want to show you a little picture of the favor that we're walking in right now. You want to show the next slide? So this is my house. Yeah, it's a little bit of a fixer-upper, I, I know, but uh, so actually on that side of the house, right over there, my husband and I live, uh, where I say we're the bats in the belfry, and, uh, and so we're part of a project 24-7 is a global prayer movement, and we've had a longing for about 12 years to have a home for the movement, somewhere where we can bring our leaders to get refreshed and restored. We've got lots of sort of missional frontline activists all over the earth who are, who are really laying down their lives in prayer and mission and justice, and we want a place where they can come and drink deeply of God's presence and uh, get healed and restored and filled up so that they could be sent out again. And so we've been on this journey over the, the last seven years. This is a place just southwest of, of London called the Waverley Abbey Estate. It's 112 acres. And on the estate, there are the ruins of the earliest Cistercian monastery in the UK. So about 1128, a bunch of monks came over from France and decided to set up shop, just started praying and loving the poor in their neighborhood. And actually, even before that, the land was given for a Celtic monastery in 688. So there's a legacy of prayer in this location spanning 1,400 years. So for 24-7, we're like, that sounds like a good place to have a home. <laughs> there's an ancient well that we want to dig there. But it was obviously, it would have had to have been a, a miracle. There's just no way that we could see this, you know, come into to the 24-7 family. And uh, 
Um, and so on July the 31st of this year, a miracle happened. <laughs> and it's a, it's a long story, and I, and I won't get into it. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit. We were working with the organization that owned it, and uh, so they moved Kirk and I into the house. My husband and I, we'd set up a prayer room. We'd set out gardens out front, and uh, we wanted to create these, these, these um, like, healing prayer gardens, gardens where people could come who have struggled with grief and loss and bereavement. I don't know about any of you, but it's been a tough year for folks, couple, tough couple of years, right? Lots of losses. And so we wanted to create gardens out the side, in particular for people who have experienced losses. And so we wanted to set up these gardens, and we were, we were like, okay, this would be great. We'll set up the gardens. And uh, before we had to do the work, though, we had to do a health and safety assessment. Everybody love health and safety assessments? Hallelujah. Yeah, anyway. So we did, and they said, oh, it's great. You can set up the garden, but there's 8,000 pounds of tree surgery that needs to be done because the trees are all old and dangerous. They'll probably fall on the people who come into the gardens, and they won't be as therapeutic as you had hoped. <laughs> and so we're like, oh, no, 8,000 pounds. Where are we going to get 8,000 pounds? We were all broke. We were just the little core team of us. There are about 12 of us. None of us had any money. So we're like, okay, God, what do we do? And so like, Lord, we just need you to help us. And we kind of emptied all of our pockets, and we managed to scrape a, a few thousand pounds together. I was really surprised. I think we got three. We're like, wow, okay, didn't know we could do that. And we kind of put it before the Lord, and we're like, okay, you need to do the rest. And the next day, somebody just kind of dropped another 5,000 pounds. And we're like, oh, amazing. So we got the trees done. We got the garden done. And then in January of this year, the people who own this property came to us and said, well, you know, we love that you've done the prayer garden. We love that you've done the prayer room here. But sadly, we have to sell the property. We're really sorry. And, uh, and then they said, but you could buy it if you want. So it's appraised at 8 million pounds. <laughs> and uh, we were like, okay, <laughs> what do we do? And so we prayed, and actually our team, we did 40 days of fasting and prayer because, like, there's no way, right? What did we have, 3,000 pounds? Like, I mean, we just can't do it. It's completely ridiculously beyond any of our capacity. We just need the favor of the Lord on it. And we, we fasted and we prayed for about 40 days. And uh, there had to be, we had to have a down payment down by a particular day. And that week, that very week, somebody from out of the country gave the single largest donation to 24-7 prayer in the history of the movement. And the down payment hit the bank the day it was due. At which point we were like, okay, I guess maybe this is a possibility, but we still, we still didn't know. It's, we just kind of gave ourselves to prayer, just going, this is, it's just beyond us. We, it's just so beyond us. And, uh, and we prayed what I call the big threes. I've got this on a slide. We prayed for three things. Number one, that God would show us his favor. That he'd show us his favor. God, we need you to do us a favor here, right? We can't, we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We need you to do us a favor here. And we asked that God would establish us in the land. And then thirdly, and I think quite importantly, that God would make us the kind of people that he would entrust with this stewardship, God, would you shape us and form us? We want to be trustworthy of this stewardship that you would give. And, uh, and this scripture became really important to us. It was really similar to a little bit of what you had said today. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand and your arm and the light of your face because you loved them. We're not big enough, strong enough, fast enough, rich enough, nothing, but we're loved. 
Oh, God, we need you to do us a favor. <laughs> we need your favor. Yeah, and then on July the 31st of this year, God extended favor to us, and we are now the stewards of that property. Just put it into our hands, and now we have to figure out what to do with it. We're like, oh, now what? And then I think the, the, the most fun bit was when we got around with our team and said, hey, guys, remember when we were really stressed about 8,000 pounds? And we're all like, yeah. <laughs> you know, we just expanded our hearts for what God can do. We saw God do a God-sized thing. And you, you can't tell by looking at me, I know, but I'm over 50, and... Uh, <laughs> And I, I'm too old for Jill-sized things. I don't have time for Jill-sized things. I want to see God-sized things. I want to see the immeasurably more than we could ever ask or think. And if I'm going to see God-sized things, then we need God to show us his favor. We need to do him to do us a favor. And I'm convinced more and more that we don't see the advancements in the kingdom of God from our own strength. We can't move out from Gilgal and take the land with the strength of our own arm, by the wit of our own intelligence. We're not strong enough. We're not smart enough. We're, not, we're just not enough. Right. We need the favor of the Lord. And this, I love this um, Psalm 90, verse 17. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. May it establish the work of our hands. My question for you today is, what's the work of your hands? I want you to turn to the person beside you. I want you to talk for a minute. What is the work of your hands? Is it your family culture? Are you shaping the culture of your family in the kingdom? Maybe the work of your hands is your marriage. Maybe you're a bin man and the work of your hands is keeping the city. Except they haven't been doing that for a while, have they? <laughs> oh, Lord, establish the work of their hands. You know, <laughs> And uh, whatever it is, maybe you're a teacher. Right? And you're raising up young lives. Maybe I was just talking to somebody who's a street evangelist and works with addicts. What's the work of your hands? Take a minute or two, groups of three, and just, what is it? What's God given you to do? Don't be shy. Come on, they're friendly. This is church, right? <laughs> One more minute. What are you working on right now? What's the work of your hands? <laughs> May the favor of the Lord rest on us and establish the work of our hands, whatever that is. All right, let's come back together. <laughs> The word favor is a gift, right? If you're asking somebody for a favor, you're, you're asking for them to do something for you that you don't necessarily deserve, right? 
And uh, finding favor means gaining approval or acceptance, special benefits or blessings. And by its very definition, favor isn't something that we can earn, but we can position ourselves to receive it. We can put ourselves in the path of oncoming grace, I like to say. I like to say, like, grace is coming down the road like a Mack truck. We could just stand in front of it and let it hit us. We could put ourselves in the path of oncoming grace. Interesting, though, even though we cannot claim favor, we can grow in favor when it's given. So I think about uh, 1 Samuel 2, verse 26. This, is, this isn't Samuel. This is Eli. <laughs> It's one of your gang here. And, uh, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. It said that Samuel grew in favor with God and with people. And so if we're wanting to see God establish the work of our hands, whatever it is that we're putting our hands to, we can ask God for favor. And then when he gives us a little bit, we can grow it. We can nurture it. We can step into more favor, and that's what I want to talk to us about today. Because the scriptures are really quite helpful in how we can grow in favor. I'm going to look, first of all, at Proverbs 3, verses 3 to 5. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord and do good. Live in the land and cultivate faithfulness. So before I came to the UK, I lived in um, a city called Hamilton outside of Toronto in Canada. And for 17 years there, I had an urban mission base or or an urban prayer base. We did a lot of mission. We did a lot of prayer. In a, in a blue-collar neighborhood, and in particular, this, this neighborhood was kind of the epicenter of a lot of our prostitution, uh, our, our drugs, and uh, it was like thugs, drugs, and Rottweilers. It was an intense. I could sit in my backyard and watch drug deals happening, you know, from in the, the backyard across the way, and there was a brothel just around the corner. So that's, that's a long way from Waverly Abbey. <laughs> now we're like, wow, those cows are really loud tonight. <laughs> it's really different than the gunshots that I was used to. But, uh, and so we worked in that city, and we worked with the church in that city. We wanted to be a blessing to the churches in the city. We wanted to help them pray and, and, and help them pray together. And we knew if we were going to do that, that if we wanted to work with them and, and to gain their trust and to grow in favor, that we needed to be consistent over the long haul. We needed to let love and faithfulness be the earmarks of who we were. And I remember very early on, it's kind of a gnarly old prophet dude came to town and he said, Jill, he said, there are pastors in your city who are appointed to die unless you pray for them. At which point I went, (laughs) you know, gulp, oh my goodness. And then he looked me up and down at the time I was about 30 and he said, and you're mighty young for that kind of calling. And so we knew that God had given us assignment to care for and to pray for the spiritual leaders of our city. And so we began once a week to pray for them. We, had a, we would spend Tuesday mornings in prayer for our pastors and leaders. And they've been doing it now every Tuesday for 20 years. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. And that's given us favor in the city because we've been loving and we've been consistent. We, I had trained these prophetic teams to pray over pastors and we had, we had a, a secret code So if the pastor came from a church that wasn't charismatic at all, 
you know, Baptist or, what, you know, whatever. And uh, so the secret code, I brought them in, and I said to the prayer team, we're just going to listen to God together for pastor so-and-so. And so then they knew to be like, okay, well, we're just going to ask maybe for a scripture to pray over them. They kept it really gentle and really. And then if I brought in a Pentecostal or a charismatic pastor, I'd be like, all right, team, let's prophesy over this pastor. And then they knew to kind of let it rip and just kind of say whatever they needed to say. But I remember coming out of our prayer room one time with a, with a Baptist pastor and his eyes. They, he had gone into the prayer room. They had prayed for him. And they'd read his mail. They just told him all about his life that nobody knew but him. And he came walking out of the room just just completely overcome, weeping. And he said, you know, there's no way to describe what happened in that place except that God was there. And I said to him, you know what, I'm, I'm really glad that, that, that you were encouraged by the things that were prayed over you. I'm glad it was kind of accurate. I said, but did you feel safe and did you feel loved? That for me was the bottom line. Did you feel safe and did you feel loved? Let love and faithfulness never leave you. This is how we grow in favor, by leading with love and faithfulness. Number two, Proverbs eleven twenty seven. Whoever seeks good finds favor, but evil comes to the one who searches for it. I've discovered as I've worked into cities and, and different areas over the, the years, actually, um, that if I go into a city or a town and look to see what the world and the flesh and the devil are doing, it's not hard, is it? Right, you can walk down the street and go, oh, yeah, that's a pretty dark area there. And that person's, you know, pretty rough. And sometimes we can even look over the church and go, mm, you know, the people on the left-hand side over there. You got to watch the left-hand side people. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're so quick to point out where we see things going wrong. We're so to, quick to focus on the darkness where there's evil happening in and around. And, uh, and actually, I think we grow in favor when we seek good. Say, what's God doing? I, I say to people, they're like, oh, I want to grow in discernment, I'm going to grow in prayer. And I, I say, okay, well, anybody can see what the world and the flesh and the devil are doing. That does not take any skill whatsoever, right? That's just blatant. The skill is, in the midst of all of that, where is God at work? What is God doing in the midst of the situation? What good is he bringing up in the lives of people in situations and in cities. Whoever seeks good finds favor. Because I've met a lot of cranky Christians over the years. <laughs> I met a lot of cranky prayer warriors who are just like super depressed because they've just focused on what the enemy is doing and not what God is doing, right? And when we look to see God at work, we're going to find him. Jesus said, my father is always working. God is always at work in your family, with your children. He is. Sometimes you got to look hard, but he is. <laughs> God is always working. And if we look to seek good, we are going to grow in favor with God and with man. So important. So important how we approach people. Again, praying for pastors. We, I, I went to speak with one pastor in my city. I said, oh, oh pastor so-and-so, I just want you to know we're praying for you. And he said, oh. He said, are you praying for me or are you praying about me? Are you praying for me or are you praying about me? He had met some cranky intercessors <laughs> who were only looking at the world, the flesh, and the devil were doing and weren't seeing what God was raising up in him. Does that make sense? So we need to seek good. Number three, Proverbs 13, 15. Good judgment wins favor. 
but the way of the unfaithful leads to their destruction. Good judgment. For me, I, I read that as discernment. I read that as, you know what, you can see something come your way and, and you get a first impression on something, and your first impression isn't necessarily what's really going on. Right? And I've learned that, that I have to step back from situations that I'm encountering, maybe in my family, maybe in my workplace, getting, you know, I work for a Christian organization. We're all wonderful. We never sin at all. <laughs> never, right? <laughs> and uh, so we do, right? And so it's, I, I have to step back in these situations to, to okay, okay, God, that was kind of messed up, that meeting that I just went to. But what? What are you doing? How do you want me to how do you want me to step into wisdom in that situation? Does that make sense? Because I think so often we're very reactive. Something happens and then we react immediately. And I think one of the most important things we can do is cultivate that space between stimulus and response. Just take a moment. Just step back and say, okay, God, I need the big picture here. Because what I just saw in that meeting was a little bit discouraging. So we need judgment. And I think that comes through so much in the context of um, challenges in relationships. Does anybody have any challenging relationships? And you don't have to put up your hand. At home <laughs> or work, you know, challenging relationships. Probably, right? If you're in, if you're a human being working with other human beings, you're going to have challenging relationships. Things are going to happen. We talk a lot about conflict management. How can we grow in conflict management? And I actually think we have to get beyond conflict management into something that, that I, I've read about and, and kind of lean into and practice called conflict transformation. And what that means, conflict management means that, you know what, we got an issue, we got to work out the issue, right? There's a problem, we need to find a solution, and you got to manage yourself, and I got to manage myself, and we got to manage the space between us. That's conflict management. Conflict transformation is different. Conflict transformation is... We have a moment right now where we are having, experiencing the fact that we are not yet as much like Jesus as we hope to be, <laughs> right? So, so the bits of me that are not like Jesus are clashing with the bits of you that are not yet like Jesus. And that's an invitation for us to have a look at our own hearts and to say yes to God and to step into transformation to become more like Jesus. Does that make sense? So conflict transformation. And that comes out of exercising good judgment, which wins favor. Next, Proverbs 28, verse 23. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor, rather than one who has a flattering tongue. Did you know that when you rebuke someone, it can line you up for favor? Like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not sure about that one. When I moved from Canada to the UK... I really struggled. I really, you know what, we speak the same language, but the culture's not the same, right? The culture's not the same. And, and the thing that I struggled the most with, now I was living in southern England, and the part of southern England culture that I struggled the most with was that the value, the cultural value on politeness was greater than the cultural value of honesty. So people will be nice to you and lie to you while they're doing it. And we feel culturally virtuous, right? That was part of... Now, Canadians, we've got our own cultural bondage. <laughs> you know, we've got our own issues. 
But for me, coming into the country, making new friends, trying to find my way in a new job, I'm like, I don't know if anybody's telling me the truth. And it was really, really disorienting. So I had a couple of friends who were straight shooters, right? And, and, and coming in as a pastor, because I, I also am a pastor at one of their churches, and, and people would say, oh, Jill, you're brilliant. I hated that phrase. I'm like, what does that even mean? Right? And I remember one time I had a friend, she, she was a straight shooter. She's so honest. I really clung to her in my first couple of months when I moved here. I said to her, Georgina, if one more person calls me brilliant, I'm going to punch them in the nose. <laughs> I'm like, just don't do it. She said, Jill, don't worry. You're not brilliant. <laughs> and I was so glad. I just felt safe in the relationship. Right? We need to be truth tellers. And sometimes that means we need to sometimes say the hard things. When we were developing our, our prayer and mission base in Canada, there was this one pastor, one local pastor, who was the bane of my existence. He'd call me up, and I thought, oh, no, I've done it again. He'd like, Jill, I'd like a meeting. And I thought, oh, okay, so I'd go to the meeting. And I'd sit down, and he'd be like, Jill, you did this, but you should have done that instead. Right? And he'd confront me on stuff. So you know what I did? I went to his church. I started going to his church, and not only did I start going to his church, I invited him to be on the board of trustees of our mission base because he could easily have disagreed with what I did and quietly walked away and quietly told all of his people to not be involved with what I was doing. He could easily have done that or talked to all the other pastors behind my back saying, I don't agree with what Jill did. But no, he actually had the wherewithal to sit down with me and confront me. Whoever rebukes a person will at the end gain favor. He, he had the hard conversation. And, and so then we just grew in respect with one another. And I knew I could trust him to tell me the truth. And then he's, he was an amazing pastor. He just, anyway, so there's honesty and courage. <laughs> and then finally, Isaiah 66, verse 2. I love this. Has not my hand made all these things, and so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble. Those who are contrite in spirit. Who tremble at my word. Psalm, uh, James 4.6 says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. My husband and I, when we got married, we, um, we started a game. And here's the game. We've been playing it now for 20 years. So the game is, who can ask for forgiveness first? It's a race. <laughs> like, who can repent the first, the quickest? And, um, and we, made it, we made it a game, and we made it fun because we knew sometimes it would be hard. And, and so it just became our little competition with each other. We still do it 20 years later. And we, so what we've done is we've cultivated, cultivated that place where we can be contrite in our relationship. We could say sorry quickly to one another. So I think God will extend favor towards those who walk in humility, those who are quick to say sorry, and actually those who tremble at his word, who actually, God's word, when you hear it, it actually impacts you. You know, it's one thing for go, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, preach it, Alan. Amen. You know, it's another thing of like, oh, wow, does God's word say that? Oh, my goodness. That's just going to change everything for me. You know, when God's word impacts us, when we tremble at his word. I just want to briefly, um, let's go to one more slide just really quick, and then I'll wind things up. This was interesting, too, because we talk about Samuel growing in favor with God and man. But then in, in Luke chapter 2, it talks about Jesus growing in favor with God and man. 
And you're like, well, wait a minute. Wasn't Jesus perfect? Right? How, how can he grow in favor if he was perfect to begin with? And uh, so I, I, that was my question, at least. And so I went and looked up some guys who were smarter than me, some theologians. And they said, well, it was actually through Jesus' life, he was fully God, but he was fully human as well. This is the mystery, right? We can't, it's hard for us to wrap our brain around the fact that he was fully man as well as fully God. And in Philippians 2, it says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus chose to obey the Father. Jesus chose to do what the Father said. And by doing that, he grew in favor with the Father. Does that make sense? And so for me, bottom line, if I want to grow in favor with God and man, can I walk with humility? Can I be quick to say I'm sorry? Can love and faithfulness drive my heart forward? Can I tremble at God's word? And can I obey the Lord? So finally... You know, we've got this big old house now in England. We've got to figure out what we're going to do with it. And uh, you can go to the next slide. And, and I remember a, a few years ago, I had a, a, a different situation, but, but God had really extended favor towards us. He'd done us a huge favor. And I was feeling a little cocky. I was feeling a little arrogant. It's like, oh, yeah, God likes me. <laughs> you know, we're good. And he's given me all this favor. He's opened up stuff in my life. I've, you know, I've got lots of good stuff happening. And, uh, and here was a phrase I used. I can't believe I said it. I said, I should take this favor out for a little test drive, see what it'll do. I know God's smiling on me. I'm just going to go like, like it's a big fancy car, right? You know, text, you got these fancy cars here. And I'll take it out for a test drive, see what God's favor will give me. And actually, I just felt the Lord go, mm, I don't know about that, honey. And he took me to this passage in Exodus 33, 12 to 13. Moses has, has been under the favor of the Lord. He's, God has, has enabled Moses to lead his people through the wilderness. And Moses says this, you have said, I know you by name. You found favor with me. He's talking to God. So Moses knows he's living under the favor of God. And I love this. He says, if you are pleased with me, then teach me your ways. Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. So if God's doing you a favor, if things are opening up for you, if, if, if God's opening doors of effective parenting, effective workplace, effective ministry, whatever way, it can be tempting to get a little cocky with that. I want to take it out for a test drive. But can we actually go, okay, Lord, thank you. You've done me a huge favor. Now, teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. Because God is smarter, he's stronger, he's far more intelligent, he's kinder, he's nicer than I am, right? I know that his ways are way higher than my ways. I need him to teach me his ways, that I can continue to walk in his favor. So I just want to pray for you today. Is that all right? Can I do that? And uh, why don't we just all stand together? And, and I just want to encourage you, you don't have to do this, but if it's helpful to do it, you might want to put out your hands, and I want you to imagine in it the work of your hands, the thing you're working on. Maybe it's your businesses. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's outreach, in the, whatever it is, whatever it is you're working on. Just imagine it in your hands. 
And so, Father, we just ask right now, you see what everybody's holding. You see all the things that they are carrying. Lord, I just ask that your favor would rest upon them. And that you would establish the work of their hands. God, I ask for the grace of an increased love and faithfulness in their lives. Increased judgment. The ability to look for good. Honesty in relationships and communication. Humility. The ability to say sorry quickly. Reverence for your word, God. And a heart that says yes to you, even in the hard things. Lord, we want to grow in favor with you. We want to grow in favor with one another. We want to grow in favor in the city of Portadown. Lord, we want to see increased favor so that this church could be that city on a hill, Lord, that you could shine as children of light in a dark generation here in Portadown. Lord, would you extend your favor towards each individual here and to this community? Would you open doors of effective ministry that no one can shut? And Lord, if we kind of listened to that list and went, oh, I've been struggling to be loving and telling the truth is hard and probably should ask my husband for forgiveness. <laughs> Lord, if there's anything that you want to do in our hearts and lives to just kind of clean house to make room for more favor, we just come and point that out to us now, even in the quiet. How do we make room for favor? Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, including Portadown, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Thank you, Lord, that we are under your loving eye, your loving gaze, that you're shining the light of your countenance on us and releasing favor to us. Amen. Let's just uh, stay on this place for a moment. I know we need to go and lift kids in a moment, but I just really felt right from Jill started to talk, really, that we need to respond this morning. Um, and uh, we've got a prayer ministry team that are here, but I just I feel there's a number of you. I, I don't even think it's just for one or two. I think there's a number of us this morning that just need to come and get some prayer to receive the favor of the Lord, it, it's here, but just to allow people to minister to that and release that over you. Um, the three things that Jill said that she prayed for couldn't have been more accurate for us. Show us your favor, Lord. Establish us in the land and make us the kind of people that would steward that favor. That's my prayer for this building, for the building that we're going to have. It couldn't have been any more accurate, Lord. And we want to be individuals that learn how to do that so that corporately we can do that. So I want to ask the prayer ministry team to come. Um, uh, and let's just, as we sing, Catherine just sings this song really softly. Let's just begin to come. Maybe you need, I just feel that particularly some areas of business, 
think some of you are like trying to push into some stuff. I, I think you need to. You just want to position yourself under the the, the hand of the Lord. Um, but I think there's other things as well. So, just if you feel like you need some prayer, let's um, let's do that. Let's sing this once, and then I'm going to release you to get your kids after we sing this once. But if you need if you need prayer, do please come come forward and let's um, let's do that. Thanks, God. <laughs>